We're going to continue on our series we've been doing the last several weeks entitled The Best Course. And that comes from the, the, the text for that is in 1 Chronicles 12 and verse 32. We are instructed there that we see from there that the, uh, from, this is talking about David assembling his military and, and all his, his, his entire team that's surrounding him. And it's, it tells us in there uh, from, uh, the different tribes, what they are contributing uh, to his team. And from the tribe of Issachar in 12 and verse 32 of 1 Chronicles, it says, from the tribe of Issachar, there were 200 leaders and their families, and they all understood. Everyone say they understood. They understood the signs of the times, and not only did they understand the signs of the times, but they knew the best course for Israel to take. So these individuals, these leaders, had a wisdom from God and a Holy Spirit direction where they understood the signs of the times and they knew the best course. We also today, as children of God, filled with God's Holy Spirit, His Holy Spirit uh, living within us to lead us, to guide us, and direct us, we also have the ability you know, to understand the signs of the times that we are living in right now, today. And we also have the wisdom of the Holy Spirit to know the best course for Israel to take. Now, we are talking about this from a corporate level, from a kingdom of God level, the body of Christ, but also on a personal level. You personally can know and understand the signs of the times of the season of life that you're in right now. And you can also know that in that season that you are in right now, you can, you can know the best course. Everyone say the best course. That means I can make the best choice. I can make the wisest decision. And I can, I can, I can uh, be it like Dave Stoltz who said, be at the right place at the right time, doing the right thing with the right people. And so we can know that. We have that ability to know that. We don't always have to be second-guessing. We don't always need to be backtracking. I don't say that I'm not pr professing that we never, ever uh, make a, a wrong turn, but we really quick to discern it, really quick to understand it, that that was not the best choice to make, and we can repent from that, and we can turn back to God, and he is right there for us to point us in the right direction. In Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 17, we are told that we are not to act thoughtlessly. That's a novel thought, isn't it? Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. I don't know if I'm the only one or some of you have experienced this, but you know, sometimes you may just be, Lord, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do about this? I even say things like that when I know what he wants me to do. But I just, I need, I need, re, I need reinforcement because I don't feel like doing it. I want, I want to do something else. Say, oh, Lord, what do you want me to do? Perhaps he'll change his mind. Perhaps he'll show mercy. <laughs> and you say, well, I really want you to do this, but I see you're not up for it, so why don't you just do this? Why don't you just take a vacation? Thank you, Lord. I appreciate that. <laughs> Lord, how do you want me to pay for that? <laughs> But uh, I, th I think you follow me there. So many, uh, often we know exactly what to do from, from the Word of God. God's Word always gives us, our, gives us our, our primary direction. It always comes from the Word of God. Specific direction can come from the Holy Spirit. Specific meaning those things that are not spelled out in Scripture. And so the Holy Spirit is there, and His specific direction will always be in alignment, and it will never be contradictory to the, to the written Word of God. 
So don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. In Micah chapter 6, in verse 8, the people were inquiring of the Lord and, and uh, asked, you know, about what, what they're supposed to do. And in verse 8, it says, this is what the Lord requires of you. To do what is right, meaning justice, to do justly. To love mercy. And to walk humbly with your God. If you can remember those three things very easily. What do you want me to do, Lord? I want you to do what is right, do the just thing. I want you to be merciful, to love mercy, and I want you to walk humbly with your God. And so that can keep us occupied all day long, every day, until Jesus returns, doing what is right, purposing to do the just thing. Justice would prevail. That we would always extend mercy rather than judgment. Always extending mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And to always remain humble in heart. That we are always merciful. We are always humble. Meaning we are teachable. We are malleable. And we are open to the Holy Spirit leading us, guiding us, and directing us. Yes, we are strong in the Lord and in the power of his might, but we're also very malleable. We remain humble. We remain teachable. We don't know it all. We get into different seasons of life. We think, okay, I understand this. Okay, I understand this. I, I know this, and I know that. And we, we, we think we got it all together, but we can never allow ourselves to be in that posture that I've heard that before. I remember some years ago, one evening, I decided to watch, a, it was a Christian program on television, and, a, and I was expecting at a certain time a, a certain a teacher to be on, but instead a, a substitute teacher on a much, much younger person than the, than the person I was expecting to be on, and, a, and this person was even younger than me. I was going to say much younger. Well, that would be true. This person was much younger than me. And I remember when uh, President Barack Obama was elected as president and all, you know, the celebration that was taking place to have a first African-American president and now you know, we've come a long way. And I thought, I, I applaud that, but my struggle was, he's younger than me. First time ever, President of the United States of America was younger than me. And that, that was, uh, <laughs> that was uh, something to get acclimated to. And, uh, so, but anyway, it's just interesting how, how it, it can work like that. But this younger uh, teacher came on, and I had this. Uh, and then not only was he a much younger person, but his topic was going to be on John 3.16. I thought, oh, bro. <laughs> what can I learn from John 3.16 that I don't already know? I mean, is there anything you don't know about John 3.16? God did what? God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. See that I could quote it, and I thought, this isn't going to be very good. But then all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit captured my attention about something this, this speaker said, and he said, tonight, I know you know this verse. I said, yeah. I know the verse. He said, but we're going to focus on a word that you may not have focused on before. And he said, we're going to focus on the word so. 
And this is really getting deep. I mean, looked it up in the Greek real quick, and it was so, S-O, you know. <laughs> looked it up in Latin, <laughs> so, S-O. But it, what his emphasis was was that, yes, God so loved the world, but many times we don't concentrate on the word. So he says, he so loved the world that he gave. And you use the illustration, then you can say, I'm thirsty, or I am so thirsty. And when you are so thirsty, you do everything, you drop everything, and you, and you go on an all-out search for water. Or I'm so tired, just let me go to bed. Just You make all the arrangements necessary to get to bed. He so loved, he didn't just love, he so loved that he went all out to show and to demonstrate his love to us by sending his son, Jesus Christ, while we were yet in our sin, because he so loved me. He so loved you. And all of a sudden, I was engrossed and enraptured by everything that was being taught. And I thought, wow, that was powerful. That was powerful. That's a, that's, that's a picture of humility. I didn't have it at first. I, I, at first, I was thinking, you know, because I, I had to make some quick decisions. Am I going to stick with this or am I going to go surfing for something else? But I thought, I thought, well, I'll just stick with it. And so that's what I'm talking about. When, and especially when you hear something being said or, or a topic being taught, and you think, well, I've heard that before. But the Bible doesn't tell us that faith comes by having heard something before. It says that faith comes to us by hearing the word and hearing. Hearing and hearing, and hearing, ad infinitum. You just continue to hear it, continue to hear it. That's how faith stays alive in our heart. That's how faith in the name of Jesus remains alive in us, by hearing what we heard this morning, by singing it the way we were singing it. Faith becomes alive because we're hearing it and we're singing it. So what does God want us to do? He wants us to do what is right. Always, always do the uh, be for justice and love mercy. So in taking the best course, I want to take a moment this morning and talk about taking the course, always taking the path or the course of being merciful rather than being judgmental. If that doesn't apply to anyone else in here, just oblige me because, you know, I'm, I, I, like to hear my, I, I like to hear what God is saying as well. And God speaks to me while I'm speaking to you. So let him speak to me if it's not applied, applicable to you. Uh, then you just... You go to the next part there. You, you focused on being humble and teachable, all right? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to focus on learning how to continue to be merciful. So, but we want to focus on, on the course of mercy. I'm sure you all have plenty of opportunities to be judgmental, to be critical, uh, to not wanting to do the just thing, to not wanting to be humble and obeying what God is, is uh, instructing you in and, and, and rather taking a different course. But in the Word of God, there's a story in the Old Testament. It's the story of Jonah. Most of you have heard the story of Jonah, but many times when we think of Jonah, you know, just more quickly ask, what's the story of Jonah about? Well, Jonah was supposed to go to Nineveh and he didn't want to go, and so he, and so he jumped on a ship and went the opposite direction. Going the opposite direction of what God calls you into is not the best course. How many people have learned that? God says to go one direction and you go another direction. You know, in Jonah chapter 1 and verse 1, it says that the Lord gave this message to Jonah. And verse 2 says, get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it because I have seen how wicked its people are. But Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. 
omnipresent God, and he's going in an opposite direction to get away from omnipresence. <laughs> you think about it for a moment. <laughs> you can't get away from God who's everywhere. But Jonah's deciding that he's not going to go where God wants him to. He went in, in, in the polar opposite direction. And so it's not the best course for him to be taking. And so I just want to share with you a little bit, give, give you a little bit of background because most of us are familiar with the story that he went an opposite way and he went on the ship and then the, uh, the storm came up and the sailors prayed to their God and, and finally Jonah said, this is what's happening and so just throw me overboard. Eventually they threw him overboard and, and then uh, uh, Jonah thinking it's going to be all over here, I'm going to die and it's all going to be over and thank God. But no, it didn't happen that way. A great fish swallowed him and brought him back up on the land Then God spoke to him a second time in chapter 3, he told him, you know, in chapter 3 and verse 1, he said, the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time, get up now and go to the great city. So he did end up going the second time, even though he was reluctant to go. But there's a background story to this that you may not be quite as familiar with. I don't want to just share with you. I want to give you a, a real briefly, give you a synopsis of the, of the, the story of Jonah. Uh, the background here is that he was to go to Nineveh, and that was uh, Nineveh was made up of pagan Assyrians, and they had a long, they were long-standing enemies of Israel. Long-standing enemies of Israel, and they were a very dominant force, and it brought about many attacks against Israel. It was, and it's somewhere between the, the years of uh, 800 uh, to, to, to 650 uh, BC. Uh, the Old Testament gives us a. Uh, describes their attacks against Israel and Judah in which they ravaged the countryside. They, they uh, carried away their people as, as captives. And so, uh, give you a little background here. It might help you understand why Jonah was so reluctant to go there. It wasn't just a city that he didn't like, but it's really, it was their arch rivals, the, the enemy, that had really been uh, dominating uh, over them and persecuting them. But Jonah, as a person, as a, as a prophet, he was prophesying during this, his reign, uh, the reign of Jeroboam II, and immediately uh, uh, before Amos, but uh, Jonah, as a person, was a very strong nationalist who was very much aware of all the, the, the pain and the grief that the Assyrians had brought against Israel over the years. And therefore, he found it very difficult to accept the fact that God would offer mercy to the, to the people of Nineveh. And, and when it, when, from his perspective, its inhabitants deserved nothing but severe judgment. So putting yourself in Jonah's shoes in, 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 his, in, in his life, that's what he was up against. He was given a message to take to Nineveh. It was a message of repentance and mercy. But it was to, it was to be uh, delivered to a, uh, a Gentile city. And his reluctance to preach at Nineveh, was, again, was based upon his desire to see their decline which would culminate in, the, in their complete loss of power. And, 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 uh, and he was also afraid that if he obeyed God, that God in his mercy would show mercy and extend mercy to the Assyrians. And, and, and they would hear and they would receive this and God would forgive them. And then they would still be in a posture of dominance over Israel. Uh, Personality-wise, Jonah's name means dove. You think of a dove, you think it's peace, gentle. 
but dispensationally, he's represented as strong-willed, anxious, he's hasty, he's clannish. Politically, it's obvious that he was a loyal lover of Israel and a committed patriot. Religiously, he, he professed a fear of the Lord as God of heaven, the creator of heaven and earth. But his initial willful disobedience and his later reluctant obedience and his anger over the extension of mercy to the Ninevites reveal obvious inconsistencies in his professed faith in God. Any of these parallels that fit you or fit all of us as a church or as a culture or as a nation, let the Lord speak to you. God so loved, remember the John 3, 16, let's say it again. God so loved, say it. The next part, the whole, the whole world, the whole world. God so loved the whole world. The context of, of the book, you know, the book of Jonah, though it's placed among the prophets uh, in the Bible, it, it is different from other prophetical books in that it has no prophecy that contains a message. Rather, the story of Jonah is the message. And the story recalls one of the most profound theological concepts found in the Old Testament, God so loved the world. God loves all people and desires to share his forgiveness and his mercy with them. Israel had been charged with revealing that message, but somehow they did not grasp the importance of it. That's found in, in the Abrahamic covenant in Genesis 12 and verse 3, where, where God entered into covenant with Abraham. And he said that uh, through you, all the nations of the earth would be blessed, would be blessed. And so uh, it's, it's important that, that we always remain merciful, that we always have a heart of mercy. It's always the best course for us to be taken. So Jonah's message is a call to repentance and a promise of mercy. If they respond, if, if, if the Ninevite people, uh, the Assyrians, if they respond affirmatively, and Jonah knows that if God spares Nineveh, then that city is again free to perhaps plunder and to pillage them again and again. And this nationalistic patriotism and his disdain that mercy will be, will be offered to a non-covenant Gentile people. This is what prompted Jonah to decide to leave Israel and to leave the presence of God. At least in his mind, he's thinking, I'm going to leave Israel and I'm going to leave the presence of God. I am not about to, be, uh, to go and show mercy to our arch rivals, the Assyrians in Nineveh. I'm not going to do it because if I preach mercy, if I preach God's word to them and they accept it and they repent, then God will be merciful to them and that will really frustrate me. That will make me angry. That's why Jonah took the exact opposite course, the exact opposite direction when he, when, he, when he was instructed to go and proclaim. He feared that they would repent, change course, and God would forgive them. But here's what I want you to take away, and this is from Dr. Larry Osborne's book on thriving in Babylon. He made this statement. He said, when our passion for God overrides our compassion for lost people, 
Let me say it again. When our passion for God overrides our compassion for lost people, something has gone terribly wrong. When our patriotism for our country, when our patriotism and our passion for God overrides extending mercy to God's people, but God so loved the whole world, something has gone awry. We've gotten off course. He said, Pastor Ray, this is July 4th weekend. I know it is, and I'm very thankful for our country. I'm glad to be an American. If I had a choice to live in any other country, I think I, I would choose United States of America. And I'm very thankful to be a citizen of United States of America, but we need to keep our priorities straight. Our number one obligation is to serve the Lord our God and to be people of justice, to be people of mercy, and to be a people that walk humbly, that we are always teachable unto the Lord our God. I'm going to celebrate July 4th. I'm going to do fireworks tonight. Bought them yesterday. It's a birthday. It's your birthday, right? So I'm not anti-America, but neither am I anti Ukraine or anti-Russia or anti-you-name-any-other-country. God is not a nationalist God. God loved the whole world. And we need a, we need a biblical worldview of justice, mercy, and humility. This would be a good place for you all to say, just keep talking, Pastor Ray. I'm, I'm hearing you. I'm hearing you. I'm putting, you know, some of you are like, you're putting a wet blanket on my, on my July 4th weekend. <laughs> well, it's not really, we can always celebrate. There's nothing wrong with celebrating. We should be, I think everybody in their country that they're in should, should be, uh, you know, praying for their country and praying for their leaders. We need to be doing so. And so just, just keep Loving your country, but keep loving the whole world like Jesus loved all the people of the world. So anyway, uh, Jonah, now you get a picture of why he was reluctant, why he didn't want to go, and why he was frustrated. But uh, you get into chapter 3, God instructs Jonah to go, to rise to go to Nineveh and deliver the message. And, and uh, this time he does it, but to his dismay, uh, Nineveh, the people of Nineveh, the Assyrian people from the common folk to the king, they respond and they indicate their repentance by declaring a fast and, and sackcloth and ashes and even the animals were forced to participate in this humbling behavior. So the next time God tells you to go on a fast, you just tell your cat who thinks she runs the house, tell her you're going on a fast with me or your dog, whatever. Try that for a season of repentance. So Jonah's heart, so he went and he preached. Uh, his heart is still unchanged, and, and, and uh, the people did exactly what he feared they, they would do, and he responds with anger and confusion. And he said, why would God have mercy on people who had abused the nation of Israel? Perhaps he was hoping, perhaps that he was hoping that their uh, repentance was not genuine, that it wasn't for real. And so he uh, goes to the outskirts of the city and he builds a shelter on a hill overlooking the city from the east. And there he waits for the appointed day of 
judgment. And we find that in chapter 4, the first couple of verses. Let me read those. He said, this charge, this is after he preached. He went and he shared God's message. The people repented. They turned back to God. And verse 1 of chapter 4 says, this change of plans greatly upset Jonah. <laughs> That's God's change of plan. God was about to bring judgment, but the people repented. God is always looking for someone to stand in the gap, to pray and to present the gospel and to declare the name of Jesus over a people. He's always looking for someone to stand in the gap so that he can extend mercy rather than judgment. God always prefers mercy over judgment. And we also need to have that same type of heart. When we would rather see judgment than salvation, we are no longer on the right path. We're no longer on the right path. So let's stay on the right path, the path of, judge, of justice, the path of mercy, and the, and the path of humility. So while uh, Jonah became angry, verse 2, he says, he complained to the Lord uh, about it. said, didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That is why I, that is why I ran away. I knew that you were a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. Do we know that? Do you know your God as a God who is merciful and compassionate, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love? Says you are eager. God is eager to turn back from destroying people. Just kill me now, Lord. <laughs> I'd rather be dead than to celebrate all these enemies of mine being born again, being forgiven, receiving your mercy. Just kill me. If you're going to save them, just take me out. Completely off course. When we are frustrated, when God extends his mercy and compassion to someone that's our enemy, someone that has done us wrong, we can bring this not from a nationalistic standpoint, but bring it to a personal level. Who really, really gets under your skin? Who really, really, you know, you just, um, if you were to be completely, completely, 120% honest, you'd just as soon see them suffer as to be healed or delivered. We need to outgrow that. We never, ever should be in a position where we're wishing ill on other people, wish suffering on other people, uh, gloating at other people's hardships, thinking, well, you made your choice. I used to hear that. Uh, you made your bed, now you just have to lie in it. You build your nest, live in it. Where's the mercy? Where's the compassion? We need to be people of mercy and people of compassion. So Jonah, it's hard to wrap your mind around the fact that he was so upset, so angry that he wanted to die. He says, you are eager. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. Just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. The Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry about this? So he went, you know, he's sitting out by the city and he's, uh, I think he's waiting. I think in his mind, he's probably still thinking, this isn't for real. This is just an emotional response. And these people, you know, they really didn't receive God's mercy. And uh, he's just waiting for God's judgment to come on them. But in the meantime, 
as he's out there, it's hot, and he's getting miserable, and, and God created a plant for him, a, a, a plant. You know, God was using this waiting time to teach Jonah a very valuable, uh, to teach him a very valuable lesson, and he prepares a plant to grow overnight in a location that shaded uh, Jonah's head. Uh, the, uh, Jonah's happy about that. He's, 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 he celebrates that good fortune. But then God just as quickly prepares a worm to cut the stem of the plant, and he causes it to wither. And he further intens- intensifies Jonah's uncomfortable situation by preparing a hot east wind uh, to dry Jonah's parched body. And now Jonah laments. So God, Jonah's out there overlooking the city, probably in his mind thinking this wasn't for real and judgment's going to come on them and I'm going to wait here to see it with my own eyes. And God creates this plant to grow supernaturally, provides shade for him. He rejoices in it. God immediately has a, a cut worm comes along and cuts the stem. The, the plant withers. And, and, uh, so he's, he's, and now Jonah, Jonah, the one who had no compassion for a whole city of people repenting and turning to God, all of a sudden has this overwhelming compassion for a plant. Everyone say a plant. He has compassion. He's, he's, he's grieving for this plant that came up one day and it's gone the next day. So it's not that he doesn't have compassion. He has compassion and mercy for a plant but he has no compassion and no mercy for God's people. Misplaced priorities. Be merciful to God's people. So he's lamenting the death of the vine and he expresses his displeasure to God. And so God revealed his inconsistency of being concerned for a gourd but being totally unconcerned about the fate of the inhabitants of Nineveh whom God loved for God so loved the whole world. So the personal application, let me read verses 9, excuse me, verse 10 and 11. Of chapter 4. It says, Then the Lord said, You feel sorry about the plant, though you did nothing to put it there. It came quickly and died quickly. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness, not to mention all the animals. Shouldn't I feel sorry? Shouldn't I have compassion? Shouldn't I have mercy for such a great city? Such a great city. So Jonah's story has much to say about the heart of God and the mission of God's people, covenant people, the church, you and me, the church universal. God's desires to show, God desires to show his mercy and offer forgiveness to people, to all people of the earth. And he has committed the ministry of reconciliation and the, and the message of reconciliation. It's found in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18 and 19. He's committed this message and this ministry to the church. Just as Israel was commissioned to reveal God to the world in Genesis chapter 12, 3, and we told Abram, through you all the nations and all the families of the earth would be blessed. So we as the church have been commissioned to go into all the world and to preach the gospel. And when we as a church have the attitude of exclusiveness exhibited by Jonah and by Israel, we fail to accomplish our task. But when the church takes seriously 
the command of God to arise and to go to the nations of the world, beginning, first of all, with families and with neighbors and communities and, and counties and states and regions and then into all the world. It includes all of that. When, 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 when we take seriously the command of God to arise and go to the nations of the world, the people who hear the word respond in faith and they will experience God's mercy and God and the forgiveness of God in a life-changing, culture-impacting. Everyone say culture-impacting. The people of the world will receive mercy and forgiveness of God in a life-changing, culture-impacting way. That's our assignment. That is always the best course for you and for me to take is the course of mercy and reconciliation, desiring to see mercy and not judgment. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Do that in your immediate relationships. Do it in your community. Do it within the church body. Just do it within the entire sphere of influence. We need to be desiring mercy and not judgment. The work of the Holy Spirit in the book of Jonah. I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago. I think maybe the first or second week of this particular series that the Holy Spirit was, is on assignment from heaven to abide within us, to lead us, to guide us, and to direct us into all truth. Jesus was on an assignment from heaven, to come from heaven to earth, and, and to go to Calvary's cross, and to shed his blood, to forgive us of all of our sins. Jesus was going to do, he did, and he was going to do his full assignment of going to the cross, dying a martyr's death, shedding his innocent blood, being buried, and again being resurrected to be seated at the right hand of God the Father. He was going to do that whether people wanted him to or not because that was his assignment from God. Likewise, the Holy Spirit's assignment from God is to dwell in you, to lead you, to guide you. And he is not going to give up on you just because he prompts you to go to Nineveh and you say, no, I'm going to Tarshish. I'm going somewhere else. I'm just going to, and by doing something different and going some other place doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit is not going to continue to hound you, if I may use that word, to be on you, to get you back on the best course. You can know the best course for your life because the Holy Spirit of God has been given from heaven to abide within you to make sure that you're on the right course. And when you make a, when you make a conscious, willful, disobedient choice, the Holy Spirit does not leave you. Matter of fact, he goes to working overtime to get you back on course. Keep your heart sensitive. Keep your ears open to what the Spirit of the Lord is speaking to you. I just want to read real quickly from Ephesians, the second chapter, and we'll close with this. Got to get to my celebration. The fireworks is waiting. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 2. Once... You were dead because of your disobedience. Keep in mind, we're talking about the best course is always the course of mercy. Everyone say mercy. mercy. Say mercy. mercy. All right. Think mercy. Once you were dead 
just in case you forgot that, all right? Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your couple sins. No, many sins. So you were disobedient. You also were laden with many sins. You used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers of the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. Sounds like Jonah, does it not? We're all being classified here right now with Jonah. Refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclination of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger just as everyone else, just like the Assyrians of Nineveh. Verse 4. I love transitions like this. These are powerful transitions. But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much, so much, that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved, for he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly places because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us so God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness toward us as shown in all he has done for us. We are united with Christ Jesus. Don't miss that in verse 7. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of his incredible mercy, his incredible love. God's looking to you to be a Jonah. He's looking to you to be an example. He's going to, you know, there's, 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 there's still people out there that are walking in darkness and willful disobedience, and God wants, to, God wants to point his mercy and goodness out to them by using you as an example because you've received his mercy. That's why he wants you to be merciful. Extend that mercy. In verse 8, God saved you by his grace. When you believed, and you can't take credit for this, it's a gift from God. None of us can take credit. Whether you're a, a Syrian from Nineveh or you're from Berks County and Lancaster County. A few weeks ago I mentioned Berks County and someone reminded me that I forgot about Lancaster. Some people do travel across the border. They come north to Lancaster. So uh, open borders. Thank God for open borders, right? No matter where you're from, you can't take credit for God's mercy and grace having been bestowed upon you. You received it, your salvation, by grace through faith. And we thank God for it. But God is rich in mercy. Everyone say, rich in mercy. He wants to be manifest himself as rich in mercy toward you so that you can be rich in mercy toward other people who deserve it. That's the right course for us to be on. That's the right course. Let's be on that course. Let's have a biblical worldview of loving all people. Praying for people, all people, people in positions of authority over us. And 
Just believe in God that he is for us and he's not against us and God wants to show mercy. Yes, he wants to show mercy even to, you know, to the United States of America. He wants to show mercy to the Ukrainian people, to the, to the people of Russia, to the people of other nations as well. But just God is a merciful God. So the best course for us to leave here today is making the decision. I'm going to do what's right. I'm going to love mercy. And I'm going to continue to walk humbly. Amen. Would you please stand? Father, just as you commissioned Abraham in the great Abrahamic covenant that we read about in Genesis chapter 12, when you, when you spoke uh, to Abraham that said that through that covenant that you established with him, our father of faith, that through him all the families of the earth would be blessed. As you've spoken, uh, as, as Jesus spoke to the church and commissioned the church to go into all the world and to preach the gospel, Father, it's your desire that justice, mercy, and humility be the, the course that we remain on in every season of life. We give you honor, Lord God. And even as the, uh, as, as the 200 leaders of Issachar in, in, on, in King David's team, that they understood the signs of the times. May you, by your Holy Spirit, continue to give us wisdom and insight concerning this time that we're living in. And also, Lord God, that we would always know the best course for the church to take, the best course for us as individuals to take, that we know the best course, we know it. And that, Lord God, that you are requiring of us to do what is right. You're requiring us to love mercy and you're requiring us, Lord God, to walk humbly. So we will do that from this day 